0: I want to uh, just say something up front today about our message. This might be one of the most depressing sermons you've ever heard, at least part of it. Okay, because we're going to go through this list of of 19 negative characteristics of the culture in the last days, and and part of what makes it depressing, I think, is is that as we go through this list, it's a bit like reading the newspaper or or listening to the evening news. Um, it, But I want you to hang in there with me on this because as we go through this depressing list, there's a reason for that. And Paul, as we look at at 2 Timothy chapter 3 here, he spells out to Timothy and and to us today as well why it is that he tells us these things and and how the church is to deal with these times in which we live. So I invite you to stand in reverence to God's word as we read, beginning with um, verse 1 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. For their folly will be plain to all, as it was with those two men. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word. And as we've been walking through this book of 2 Timothy, Lord, reminded of things and what they'll be like in the world in the last days. Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts about what we see in the culture around us, but also... Uh, of where our hope lies, and, and uh, Lord, that you would encourage us today, even in spite of this long list. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> it's important that we understand this. It's important that we understand what Paul is to tell us in these verses, Because if we Christians don't grasp what he's saying here, we'll be caught off guard. And we'll become overwhelmed with how depressing the culture around us has become and we'll wring our hands in despair. And God doesn't want us to do that. And we should not be surprised by people around us and what we see happening in our culture because God's word has predicted that it would be that way. And so what does Paul want us to understand here? He wants us to understand there will come times or seasons of difficulty. Verse 3. And Paul is saying that there will be seasons that are, that are worse than others. And he's not referring to seasons like here in the Northland where winter is upon us, which has its own unique challenges, no doubt. But, you know, the snowbirds have a simple solution for that. They just go south for a few months and they come back, When the season of difficulty is over, it will not be so easy to escape the seasons of difficulty that Paul is talking about here. These seasons will be unavoidable. They will happen all over the world at various times in the history of the world. And these times of difficulty will be days of danger and stress for Christians. And they will be that way because you see, we have an enemy who is hard at work in this world, and that is the devil. And all of the struggles that we go through in this life are connected to the fact that the devil is opposed to the work of God in our lives, and he would like to drag as many as he can into hell with him. And at the end of chapter 2, Paul spoke of how we Christians are to live as servants of the Lord, with hopes that how we live our lives, and as we share God's word with others, will be used of the Lord to help unbelievers do what? The last verse in, in chapter 2 tells us, <clears throat> come to their senses and, and escape the snare of the devil, having been captured by him to do his will. You, you see, that is the reality in, in many people's um, situation in life. They, they have been duped by the devil into following him and doing his will, and they don't even realize it. And We'll be looking at that more in a bit, um, but first I just need, <clears throat> need to say something here about the last days. These seasons of difficulty, it says, will occur in the last days. Well, when are the last days? And I think many of us Christians tend to uh, apply this term, the last days, uh, to some time off in the future, the days just shortly before Christ returns. And it's understandable that we would think that way. And some days will indeed be those last days just before he returns. But since none of us really knows just what day or hour he will return, Scripture tells us that, then we can never know until it happens when those very last days will be. However, as we look elsewhere in Scripture for that terminology, here's what we see. In the New Testament, authors write with a perspective that a new age has dawned with the birth of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, and that old age is beginning to pass away, and the last days have dawned. And so when Peter, for instance, spoke on Pentecost Sunday and he quoted from the Old Testament prophet Joel who said that in the last days God would pour forth his spirit on all people, Peter states that that prophecy has now been fulfilled. The last days that Joel had referred to had now come about, he's saying. Similarly, when you look in Hebrews chapter 1 <clears throat> where it talks of how in the past God spoke through the Old Testament prophets in many portions and in many ways, It goes on to say that in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, which again then indicates the last days include all of the days from Jesus' first coming until the day of his return to earth, which means then that Timothy was living in the last days, and so are we. And they may get worse in the future. Actually, there are scriptures that definitely tell us that that is so. But even now, these days in which we live are are dangerous times, times of difficulty in which Satan is hard at work. And the reason that these times of difficulty will come is because of what people will be like then. Verse 2, it it says, For people will be... And then it goes on with this long list. John Stott says this, It is important to grasp that it is people who are responsible for the menacing season which the church has to bear. Fallen people, evil people, people whose nature is perverted, whose behavior is self-centered and godless, whose mind is hostile to God and his law, and who spread evil, heresy, and dead religion in the church. End quote. I see in the next verses here then, that long list of 19 characteristics Uh, but I I see four general categories that help us comprehend what that list is all about. And and these categories uh, certainly can be seen in present-day culture around us in America today, and they were also true of even the New Testament era. And there have been ebbs and flows in morality down through human history, as there have also then been seasons of spiritual revivals that have brought waves of people turning back to God. But it seems that in our society, we are currently on a downward spiral in in which Satan is making great inroads in our culture. And I I think a good description of one of those areas then, in which that is the case is a misdirected love. Stott says, and again I quote, "...what is fundamentally wrong with these people is that their love is misdirected. Instead of being first and foremost lovers of God, They are lovers of themselves, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. Lovers of self. Let me just say this it's not wrong to love yourself. Jesus taught us to love your neighbor as yourself. But when you love yourself and not your neighbor, there is a problem of over self centeredness. There's something called narcissistic uh, personality disorder. It is a psychiatric disorder characterized by a pattern of self-importance or grandiosity, uh, a a constant need for admiration and attention, and and a lack of empathy for others. And it seems to be significantly on the increase in our culture today. Uh, According to Psychology Today, um, article in September of 2021, research indicates that more than 10% of people in their 20s are believed to suffer from subclinical narcissism. Another study indicated that that social media fuels young people's already narcissistic tendencies by acting as kind of a megaphone of their thoughts and leading them to then over-evaluate the importance of their own opinions. Misdirected love, lovers of self, also lovers of money. Do we have any money-loving people in, in our culture? Do we see people that are obsessed with making money, spending money, Hoarding money. Remember what we saw as we were going this fall through 1 Timothy chapter 6. There, Paul told Timothy, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pain. Misdirected love. Lovers of self, lovers of money, and also lovers of pleasure. Never in the history of our country has society spent so much money on pleasure. And again, it isn't wrong to spend anything on oneself. But if pleasure becomes our God, it's a problem. Where does this misdirected love of self and money and pleasure lead? Well, next in that long list, then, are these. Proud, arrogant, abusive. Uh, Proud, as in boastful, bragging about self, boasting in one's accomplishments beyond what's even true, in attempts to impress. Arrogant, thats or haughty, that's thinking of your own self as above others. Uh, abusive in speech, or, or slanderers, that's purposely seeking um, to speak ill of others in, in attempts to bring them down and elevate self. How different are those characteristics of people with misdirected love compared to what we see in Scripture of what true love or agape love is, like in 1 Corinthians 13 where it tells us Love is patient, love is kind, love is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, does not seek its own. Second category of what people will be like in the last days that I see here is that there will be dysfunctional family life. And the next five descriptions in that list of 19 are are negative in their form, that, that is, that in the original language in Greek, they all start with the um, letter um, alpha, um, which, <clears throat> like in, in, um, in English, we have words that start with this prefix of un, un, or, or dis, uh, d-i-s, um, for instance, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, unappeasable. Well, according to uh, Forbes magazine, <clears throat> in November of uh, 2019, Seventy to 80 percent of Americans consider their families dysfunctional. That is, lacking an emotional connection with their family members. According to a 2019 study with a Pew Research Center, <clears> the <throat> United States um, has the world's highest rate of children living in single-parent households. Thirty-eight percent of kids in U.S.-born families live in single-parent households. Uh, and, and that's interesting to compare with uh, 24% of kids in immigrant families. The, the breakdown of the nuclear family and the rise of single parent households has led to, to a host of other family problems and, and we see part of that list right here then. Disobedient to their parents, children disobedient to those that God has placed over them um, and, and in many cases we would have to say that parents are partly to blame for this as they haven't disciplined their children at home from the time they were young However, society has bred this victim mentality and entitlement mindset that has resulted in parents being afraid to parent. And along with children being disobedient to parents, Paul describes them as being ungrateful, not not thankful for what they've been given, uh, devoid of basic appreciation, unholy or unrespectful of those that God has placed over them, uh, unloving, that that is, without natural affection, um, toward those that they should naturally have love for, such as family. And, and then it uses this word, unappeasable, or another translation says, irreconcilable. You see, if people do not look to God and his word, then they are without a clear source of truth to settle disagreements. And, and this results in what, what one commentary called a, host, a hostility that accepts no truths. Young persons so... Uh, in revolt, that they're unwilling to come to the table and even communicate. Now, in a Christian home, the relationship between children and parents should be marked by obedience and respect and affection and reasonableness. But Paul describes a culture when all of those are lacking. And and so recognize how when the family, um, as a basic foundational piece of society, goes awry, then the whole culture is in trouble. And, and where when there's dysfunction and selfishness at home, then there's unforgiveness in relationships between spouses or between children and parents. And that goes with them then into society around them. And so a lesson here for all of us then is this. Deal with your home life. And as a church, we want to do all we can to strengthen that and trust that that will then have an impact that is far beyond our families and our church walls. A third category of what people will be like in the last days that I see here There'll be societal chaos. The inevitable consequence of a godless self-centeredness is upheaval in society. These days in our society, we have government leaders and media leading the way and promoting division. Paul in verses 3 and 4 here describes people as slanderous or malicious gossips, promoters of quarrels in hopes that they may somehow gain from that and without self-control, without power to control themselves in respect to their tongue or their appetite or anything else. Brutal, not loving good, that is, haters of good, hating what God says is good and loving what he says is evil. Treacherous, uh, that's a betrayer, one who abandons another in danger. And and reckless, that is, hasty in speech or action. And and conceited, or or know-it-alls. Do we not see characteristics like that in our culture today? The result is societal chaos. And only the gospel of Jesus Christ offers a radical solution to this problem. Only through Jesus Christ can hearts be changed from this utter self-centeredness to a love for God and fellow man. And there's a fourth characteristic, or category here of what people will be like in the last days that I see. And that is that they will have a distorted religion. Verse 4 says, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. <clears throat> that is, having an outward form or resemblance of religion but not carrying it into practice. And we see in our land today such moral indignation coming from people who really don't even have any time for God in their life. <clears throat> One of the things that we see, it's true in the news a lot, saving the planet from climate change. It's become like a religion that goes from one crazy illogical idea to another. Let's shut down all coal power plants. Let's ban manufacturing of all small um, gas engines. Let's outlaw having any future construction to use gas uh, stoves or furnaces. Meanwhile, leaders of this religion all fly across the globe to meetings in their own private jets. There's a religion Of women's reproductive rights that refuses to deal with the reality of a human child growing in the womb and I appreciate the summary I saw this last week which says it this way this is not a potential human it is a human with potential there's a religion of tolerance and diversity that that is intolerant of anyone who holds to Christian moral values in the area of sexuality and that works to stir up anger between the races in society. And I could continue with other examples, but you get the picture. People with no solid basis for their moral indignation, but unwilling to look to God and his word. A summary description really is this. People will be opposed to the truth. Verse 7 says, Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. When the truth stares them in the face, they refuse to recognize it. It's so open-minded to listen to opinions of people that they've lost the ability to discern reality. Somebody says it this way, so open-minded their brains fall out. And isn't that where our society seems to be headed? Dr. David Jeremiah wrote a book called Where Do We Go From Here? I read during my sabbatical this last summer. and I share a quote with you from that here. He says, The prophet Isaiah accurately described our generation when he wrote, Truth is Fallen in the Street. Almost everywhere you look, he says, we are turning a deaf ear to truth as we desperately seek for meaning and fulfillment in all the wrong places. While searching for truth, we are actually running away from the truth. Meanwhile, the truth goes from taught to tolerated in the public square and from believed to banned in our public schools. And what was once the rule of faith and practice in our culture has been relegated to a negative icon used to illustrate the narrow-mindedness of our founding fathers." And as we are running away from the truth, truth is running away from us. And we are in the midst of a famine, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And he quotes from Amos chapter 8. By the way, in our text today here, mentions two guys here, Janus and Jambres. Verse 8. They are believed to have been Egyptian sorcerers of Pharaoh who opposed God's spokesperson of Moses and used sorcery then to perform a miraculous signs that would encourage Pharaoh to not let God's people go free. And Paul says that like them, in the last days there will be men who oppose the truth. Men depraved of mind, rejected in regards to faith. So there we made it through the whole long list. How is the church to deal with such times and with such people? It depends on where you find them. We have to expect Just find such people in the world around us. They are the ones that Paul encouraged Timothy to live his life as such a godly example in front of them that they might somehow come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. But when such people are a part of the church and, and yet live openly hypocritical lives, being outwardly religious, yet lovers of self, money, and pleasure, ungrateful, unholy, unappeasable, slanderers, and openly opposed to the truth in various ways, then Paul tells Timothy... Avoid such people. Be appalled by them, turn yourself away from them, and if they try teaching heresy in the church, oppose them with the authority of the written word of God. We also see this here, though, we should be encouraged, that their folly will be evident to all. That's what it tells us here in verse 9, but they will not get very far, for their folly or their foolishness and faithlessness faithfulness will be plain to all as it was of those two men. And I have to tell you that at times I get discouraged because it doesn't seem that way to me. So many people seem blind to the truth, even in much of organized Christian church in America. But if I understand what it's saying here right, <clears throat> it is that those who are true Christians, who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior from sin, and who stand on the authority of the written word of God, they may at times listen to the folly of false teachers, for a time. But with the word of God as their guide, they will see the folly of the false teachers and turn away from them. And so be encouraged about that. And then one last thing. Be prepared for those difficult times by continuing in what you've learned and become convinced of. Pastor Ryan will be sharing next week on the next verses here in this section of chapter three. And so I'm not going to steal his message here except to say that our hope in these difficult times comes from what it tells us in verse 14 there where it says, You, however, continue in the things you've learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you learned them, and that from childhood you've known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Continue in God's word. Let it be your guide in life. Remember the mints. Even one a day. Adds up to a lot over time, doesn't it? And so it is as we take in God's word. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word today, even this long list, reminding us of what we see right around us in our culture. So we shouldn't be surprised by it, Lord. Help us that we would recognize that that is reality of people that have been duped by Satan and that uh, are blind to the truth. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to live our lives uh, with your word as our guide in such a way that that we would have discernment and to, to tell the difference between the truth and lies. And, and Lord, that we would live our lives in a, such a way that we'd be an example to others of something that they would long for in their life. And, and Lord, that you'd give us opportunities to share that and appoint them to you. And we thank you for your word and, and for the times we come together around it to learn from it together. We ask that you would use our church, Lord, to be a beacon of hope um, and a a clear reminder of, of where our source of truth is in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.